0: So so take risk is important, you just do the calculation to see like, you know, what's the worst, prepare for that and then hope for the best, like do or work for the best, don't just sit there and hope.
1: Vigrant Thomas is a scientist and executive with eight plus years of speech recognition and machine learning experience. He pursued a PhD in automatic speech recognition from McGill University, founded Fluent.ai Inc. in 2015. Prior to that, he's worked at Nuance, Vestec and been a research scientist. In this incredible talk, Vigrant Tomal takes us on his journey of moving to Canada from a small village in India. He came to Montreal to continue his studies and successfully launch a startup in artificial intelligence to allow everyone to communicate with smart devices in their native language.
0: So, I've been working in speech pretty much uh, since my undergrad, uh, and actually, in my. uh, So, I did my undergraduate back in India, and then I came to Canada for my PhD. Um, and in the final year of my undergraduate we actually had this new professor who just would not stop talking about how speech recognition is going to be the next big thing and actually he was right and i got really inspired and he was it was actually i didn't even go to his uh, opening class his, my friend went and he's like oh man this is really good you should go and you know so and then i ended up taking his course and so basically that pretty much that moment set sort of my direction of oh i want to work in speech um, and uh, at McGill, also I did my work in speech. I worked at uh, Nuance, which uh, is another speech recognition company. I worked there before starting Fluent. So it's been uh, speech recognition, Has uh, or speech recognition is one of those problems which has been, you know, AI, before AI was a big thing. Like, past 30 years, people, has, people have been doing machine learning and speech, it sort of starts with that. And it's been away. It's been like also five years away for past thirty years. So it's been like very interesting problem that's been on the cusp of being solved, but we're still not there. We're getting closer though. Now it's three years away, but it's like that. So I actually uh, was always uh, interested in doing something of my own, and uh, that might have to do something might have something to do with kind of how I grew up. Like, so I grew up in a small village in India. My family were like farmers, so it's kind of, you get this in entrepreneurship or autonomy inculcated in you as you grow up. Uh, and then I sort of started from there, moved around India and came here. I start, uh, tried to do uh, actually a startup back in India. Uh, it's didn't succeed so you know we removed all existence of it uh, but uh, that's between my undergrad and my PhD we tried to do like me and a couple other friends a startup in India It was more like um, uh, like a personalized search engine kind of stuff uh, yeah but we didn't, didn't succeed so I uh, came to McGill and I, I actually wanted to do something here as well um, but uh, like I came to McGill in t- 2010 and there wasn't a lot of entrepreneurship stuff going on at McGill so I was kind of disappointed Uh, But then towards the end of my uh, PhD, I got in touch uh, with these guys uh, from uh, Tandem Launch. It was pretty serendipitous, actually. A friend of mine introduced me to them, and they reached out as well. So kind of that's where I'm like, oh, maybe this is my uh, chance. Otherwise, my plan was finish PhD, go to US, work for a few years, and then try to do something.
2: And the idea was already there to use speech recognition and basically to get into such a huge business and to start
0: um, a startup. Speech has been around for a while, right? And I worked in, like I said, so I've been working for about, like, since my undergrad in speech, so I, I got to see uh, that, and I worked at Nuance as well, which is like one of the big uh, companies in speech. So I got to see what the problems are, and I got to see that most of the companies are actually using the same old technique, which leaves out a lot of people from being able to use speech. So if you look at uh, speech problems today, okay, we have good performance in uh, English, and some other languages like Mandarin and others, but a large majority of the world is actually not touched by uh, speech recognition. And I like to joke with my colleagues that hey, speech is kind of like a racist technology. You know, If you're North American, have a, have a clear accent, you can use it. If you're from India, from like you know, Philippines or something like that, you, you can't use it, right? Whereas touch, everybody can use It doesn't matter how fat your finger is or how thin it is and then also languages like there are around 1500 languages in the world where each of them have more than 1 million speakers and uh, even the let's say google if you look at that has the highest number of language support supports like about 30 languages that are okay 10 less than 10 are usable so that's the um, you know that's the state of the affairs today and that's kind of where what motivated us to sort of come in and try to do speech recognition from a different angle to see if we could solve that problem
2: So maybe now we are getting to the point when you can tell us a little bit more about what Fluent AI is doing, what's the concept of the startup?
0: Yeah. So there's uh, uh, so what we're doing is there's two parts to it. So one is um, you know how speech recognition is typically done. So if you look at all uh, any of the speech recognition stuff today, uh, there are two steps typically. Um, there's multiple internal steps, but two major steps. One is called ASR, speech to text, and the other one is NLU, natural language understanding. So first you convert somebody's voice into text, and then you try to extract some meaning out of that to see like oh this is uh, what the person was saying. But the problem is that text is actually an incomplete representation you don't have emotions you don't have intonations you lose a lot of information right um, the other aspect of this is if you look at humans you know when we talk we're not really you know writing it down in your head and then trying to understand it it's direct and you can and actually i was you know one time pitching it uh, to an investor and this guy was a professor in stanford and he asked me how do you know i'm like well okay if you look at kids before they go to school." So he was like, you know, he's this professor. He's like, Has, have there been studies to prove this? I'm like, I don't think you need <laughs> studies. Like, look at kids before they go to school. They can understand their parents. Uh, or look at people uh, who uh, are illegible, quote, unquote. They don't know how to read and write, but they could have a full-on conversation, right? So that itself is proof enough. So he was like, oh, yeah, okay, makes sense. So that's kind of where <laughs> that's kind of where uh, what's our motivation was. It's like, okay, we could try to look at speech recognition from... Uh, uh, or use different set of technologies that doesn't require text, so uh, that's sort of what we call it uh, spoken language understanding in, instead of just speech recognition. So that's part one. And by doing that, uh, what we're trying to do is solve the problem of, uh, so one of the biggest problem is uh, that speech recognition currently requires a lot of compute power and it requires a lot of data to train in a different uh, any language and we, these are sort of the problems that we're trying to solve uh, being able to train in multiple languages very very quickly being able to t- uh, train from small systems like we have systems that understand uh, english korean german they're very three very different languages a single system you don't have to choose the language you can go up to the uh, device and start talking in in that language and it will understand you uh, the second uh, aspect is uh, uh, privacy and uh, so Again, and, and, or, and that's related to the computational power requirements. If you look at, uh, again, look at Google or uh, Siri and everything, everything happens on the, in the cloud, or even Alexa, right? So there are some Alexa-powered door locks. But to open your door, it has to do a round trip to the Amazon server and then bring the response back. And it doesn't make sense. Like right? you, you don't need to do that. So we really focused on doing, uh, if you think about it, the next wave is AI on the edge, right? So and that's kind of what we're trying to do, speech recognition on small devices. So now we have speech models running on really tiny devices that use tens of microwatts of power it's running, uh, the CPU is running at 100 megahertz. Uh, the RAM requirement is something like 128 kilobytes, so really small, and the flash storage is like 500 kilobytes. Now again, this is not a full replacement of Alexa or Siri because it's running on this tiny thing, but it could do you know, pretty much a lot of things that you might want to do, let's say, to automate an office space or automate a smart home without any of the data leaving the device
2: which mean that i'm going to basically tell my car open the door and it's going to open the door for me it's going to know recognize my voice and it's going to open the door in check in my language
0: yes so uh, so yes and another joke i like to m- make is that i you know everybody should be allowed to yell at their freeze in their language you know
2: <laughs> and and like what what difference what differentiates you from the competitors? Like you were talking, you were mentioning many times Siri and Google, respectively. Yeah. So what makes you different? So Your we per-
0: don't necessarily look at Siri and Google as our competitors because uh, like, our market focus is different. So we're really looking at embedded on-device uh, sort of market. Whereas if you look at Google and Siri, they're doing everything in the cloud, right? So, we- so it's
2: purely offline,
0: Purely offline, right? that's that's the focus, purely offline. Uh, the kind of uh, use cases we're looking to enable is, let's say, the smart lock, uh, hearables like small uh, earbuds, uh, wearables like wristwatches and that kind of stuff, um, uh, smart home environments, uh, but like appliances inside smart home. So there are different thoughts to it, right? So different thoughts in the sense where is voice as an AI interface is going? Are we uh, going to be like a, so currently current, uh, is we're only seeing like very the very beginning of the thing, right so we're seeing like things like Alexa or Siri or, or Google, and they're very central. Uh, however, the another school of thought is, oh, is it going to be like spread out in the sense every device in your home or in your office environment is going to be smart in itself, and it doesn't need to rely on like a, another device or somebody else's cloud. So that's kind of is the angle we are playing uh so each device or, or it could be like a, a mothership inside the home but everything is on that mothership it it doesn't go to the cloud so it's offline uh and it's in other languages where the other competitors don't have uh don't don't have products right now
2: and it's just very well to you, the fact to the concerns people are having about their security that i am not going to give amazon or google or apple my my voice to open my house or basically to control my house right
0: yeah yeah i, I mean there's been uh, there have been some studies uh, to show like that there are, there is some concern, but there 's now uh, as you go forward, people are also more and more open in giving away their privacy, but now we have some. Uh, people saying like, oh, no, no, there's a new privacy wave coming in. So it's like, you know, it depends. But but it does solve the problem for us. So yeah.
2: And maybe to move a little bit aside and look more from the top on the industry itself, I read an article uh, which was saying that uh, by 2025 the industry of uh, speech recognition will achieve will get to, will grow to $36 billion. So basically in a few years the business will be huge. It's like a growth of 50% per year, right? So you are at the beginning, you mentioned it many times, right? You're at the beginning in a startup and you're going to be, you know that you're going to be growing so much. How... Being in a such a startup, how do you feel, and how are you getting ready for such a growth? So,
0: uh, I mean, yeah. So the market definitely is growing. We see a lot of applications of voice coming in everywhere. However, um, you know, the, the 36 billion is a huge number, right? So, I, I don't, so we, we have to look at the T, TAM, right? Total addressable market. Like that's, it's not certain that we'll be able to take, you know, the that that we'll be able to address all the 36 billion as a company. But I mean, we do. Um, uh, there's there's different sort of... Uh, we have to plan, kind of like strategy. Okay, this is what we're doing right now. How do we scale? How do we... Uh, uh, right now, we are able to do, let's say, uh, 10 or 15 customers at a time. How do we scale ourselves up to thousands of customers in parallel, uh, serve, serve thousands of customers in parallel? So scalability is... And this is true for any startup, not just us, is, is a big problem. It's a big question, right? You have to plan uh, and strategize for it. So we're... Um, We're doing a number of different things. We're uh, automating a a number of uh, tasks that were uh, previously entirely human-dependent, so trying to remove human from the loop. In a good way. And then uh, we're trying to... uh, uh, then also form uh, partnerships because we're only a small part of this speech market right so we, we, we so we as a company uh, maybe that's not clear uh, so we only uh, we are a b2b company so we only provide software to other device manufacturers right so we don't make the device we don't sell anything to the end users directly we sell it to the uh, you know oems of the world that make the device and you get get, get the devices from them so in in that pipeline, uh, there's a number of different players. So what we have done uh, over the last year is build partnerships with different stakeholders in, in these products, like how these products are built. So and that range from guys who built the chip, there's a number of different kind of uh, chips, so there's some really low power uh, ARM-based chips, there's some DSPs and all those things We built partnerships with those, partnerships with uh, uh, companies that actually make the device, so like for example, iPhone Apple doesn't make the iPhone, right, so Apple only markets it, right, it's Foxconn or whatever so to build partnerships with those kind of ODMs, then they can sell to OEMs, so we're we're trying to figure out these kind of ways to uh, and, and this is a question with everybody, right, so you have to see know who are the uh, you can try to keep selling to OEMs and we have been doing that but that's a slow process and then you have to see how do you move fast and how do you scale so those are the kind of things we've been trying to uh, prepare to address the biggest like as much of the market as we can
2: you cannot I understand correctly that you cannot go too fast and that might be also a question for many startups as well like how do you handle the fact that we cannot go the, the potential is huge but we cannot go too fast. You know, we need to do, do step by step and your recommendation would be then for, for those startups? Well,
0: so, uh, I mean, so that, that depends. So there's different kind of ways to look at it, but yeah, I guess one uh, takeaway usually is that don't spread yourself too thin. In a sense, do uh, one thing and do it well. Right? And this was actually, uh, uh, I was reading some point that uh, I think Larry Page went to Steve Jobs and he's like, oh, d- what recommendation do you have for me? And he's like, oh, learn to say no. So there's a lot of things that will attract you and then you would want to do but just say no focus do one thing well and then move on to the next thing and you know you have to Know that this is the right thing to do. Don't waste your time in doing something that's not the right thing to do. Uh, yeah.
2: So it stays small steps towards a big victory in the future. Yeah, exactly. Say.
0: Yeah, because if you try to do like four things at a time, none of those are going to yeah. succeed, right? So yeah.
2: Definitely. And then um, you are actually going small step steps towards a big victory. But you just told me that you managed to get in seed funding almost four million dollars to support your business, but- which is. I would assume a little bit a uh, big step for future.
0: Well, I mean so it mean? was it was in two two different steps. We got uh, total of 4 million to the date um and uh, uh but I mean it's it's it might it might sound like it but it's not a big amount for a startup. You you, you really need to grow um like so as as we grow uh, we have to have this kind of gr- this is growth money right so uh, when you start small you, you don't want to take too much because uh, dilution you take you give away your ownership but then there comes a point where you're like okay now uh, you know we're ready for the next step and this is uh, this is where we need maybe the kind of capital that can help us go there and we need to go there fast because also uh, the the market is growing and so uh, the market is, uh, sorry, the market is moving fast, right? So there's other uh, competitors in the market and, and you you have to sort of, we, ha- we have to keep running and make sure we're ahead of the game, or ahead of the curve. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, it all depends on uh, on the market. It depends on how well you're uh, able to sell your dream, which is kind of where it comes to, right? To, to team members, to uh, uh, VCs and everybody else,
2: yeah. And what's the, when you, do your start basically? You start with uh, see with someone with some uh, with some guy. But you start your startup, and then you need money, right? So what what's the um, what would be your recommendation for like the next step? How do you approach investors? What what's your experience out of that? Well,
0: so um, uh, mostly I assume you're a technical people, right? So technical people are always under the impression that technology matters, and the truth is it doesn't. It's, it's, it's the market that matters. So, you always, whenever you want to go um, talk to any, any, anybody, whether that's an angel investor or a VC, you have to kind of sell them money, right? Like, hey, so it's a, it's a simple investment right it's like uh, you know you give me 10 dollars today i'm going to give you like you know 1000 tomorrow no not not truly but <laughs> <laughs> let's not make this deal but <laughs> but it's possible uh, so that's the that's the thing like you have to have basically your market numbers you have to show like you have to obviously technology is important i'm not saying that it is not important but i'm saying the market is more important than technology you have to look at uh, like be very clear about, this is what I'm building, this is the group of people, or this is who is going to buy it for how much today, and this is the next step, right? So you have to sell that hockey stick kind of graph, and how do you get there? And that's not always easy, but, but doable. you
2: managed to get your money, so at well. The we, yeah, day I you mean, to get-
0: uh, let's just—I I had support from a lot of good people who had experience in this, so I don't want to take all the credit. Yeah.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I might move uh, to a, different, a little bit different topic: uh, the biggest challenges, because your uh, yeah, your statement you gave us is take risks and be perseverant. That means that you had to face many, many challenges, and we would like to hear about them.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, so uh, there's challenges comes from different parts of life, but just in the startup part. uh, So take uh, we can do it in two parts, right? So take risk is important. Like I've I've seen a lot of people where they have a really good idea and they're just afraid of jumping in. And uh, I always tell them like, you know, you have to do in the calculation in your head, like what's the worst? Like what is, if you devote six months of your life on this? You know, you just do the calculation to see, like, you know, what's the worst. Prepare for that and then hope for the best. Like, do or work for the best. Don't just sit there and hope. So uh, that's the that's the take risk part. And be perseverant is also important because a lot of founders, uh, well, uh, actually, uh, there's another part of it, That's kind of negative. I didn't want to write it, but (laughs) the uh, uh, so perseverance is important because a lot of people give up easily, or they have like one setback and they give up. Like in my own uh, startup, you know, when we started in the first year, uh, at some point we grew up, uh, we grew up to like eight people, Um, and then uh, but that included like some interns and some. But then there was a point we were down to two as was me and another guy, and I went to him, uh, Sam. Sam is actually a great guy, still part of our team, and like a key player. Um, So I went to him, like, look, I understand the situation is not ideal, uh, but how about, I didn't use ideal, I used more stronger words. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, how about, uh, you know, let's, and this is like sometime in, uh, I think, July or August, I'm like, you know, Let's give it till December, you know, 100% of us till December. And then, you know, if nothing happens, then we'll call it a a quit. But, you know, I see that we have big opportunities and we just need to keep at it. And and that's where the third part is uh, be mindful of the opportunity cost, which is also important, right? So uh, what that means is that a lot of time people spend years in uh, doing like behind an idea and the idea isn't going anywhere. Whereas they could be doing something else on the side that could probably be better. So it, it's, and this is the hardest part, right? When do you call it quit? And it's like, oh, it's my dream, it's my my thing. I know, uh, you know, you because founders usually believe in their dream, obviously, right? But reality check is also important. And the reality check could be, and it, could, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I don't have any other idea. I mean, maybe it's better to just get a job take a break from the, and then come back, right? I'm not saying quit, (laughs) I'm just saying just come back. So this kind of be perseverant comes back there. Uh, But you have to balance, basically. Uh, And that's sort of where I said like, hey, let's give it till December. We didn't want to continue it forever. But till December, we worked hard, and then, you know, things changed, and now we're about 25 people in the company, so it's good.
2: Yeah. It's great, though. Yeah,
0: like it's in half a mm-hmm. year,
2: you talk about last year, no, right? No, 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 no. no. You talk about
0: <laughs> That was few years ago. Okay, <laughs> not in half a year. Come on. But you mentioned
2: before when you were talking, you mentioned also a failure. There was one failure startup you tried to do in India, and uh, it failed. It's totally fine. Like we yeah, all yeah. failures it are good
0: for, for you, actually. Yeah. But
2: if you can share a little bit what you learned from it and how it helped you, you know, to grow. Um,
0: well, I mean, uh, at that time, actually, we were just uh, not. We didn't have a. I mean, we had an idea, we had like a business plan and all, but we didn't have the right kind of mentorship. We, we, we had no idea about how to start a company. And uh, back then, India, uh, we were also trying to do this in India, and India didn't have, back then, today does, uh, the most conducive environment for startup. So there was a lot of factors, uh, but there were a lot of learning as well. Like we were also trying to do it on the side. We weren't like jumping 100% uh, into it. I had my research job, somebody else has his uh, other job. So we were three friends. We all were doing something else um but uh, i mean i guess e- even then uh, we didn't this is kind of uh, the thing. we didn't jump into it right so we we, we tried doing it and kind of in like a we 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 had prototype and sort of everything but we didn't jump into it like i i wrote the prototype my other friends wrote the business plan and but we we didn't come together as a company so there were that's that's the thing yeah
2: you basically have to take the risks, yeah jump into yeah if like, you're going to get i I, it.
0: Ha- I know many uh, like a couple of the friends here who have like uh, i won 't go in details, but on high level um, he has uh, I have a friend he has a really good idea, he has developed like an app that. I can't talk about it, but it's really good. And I keep telling him, he's like, oh, yeah, I know. I'm talking to this guy, and I'm talking to like, these big companies, and they're all interested in me. I'm like, so what do you want? He's like, oh, you know, yeah, somebody come and acquire me. I'm like, yeah, but they're going to give you pennies today. Why don't you build it and actually create a value in it? And then, you know, and he, so that's it. Like, he's, but he's scared, uh, yeah, like, to jump in. Like, so I'm pushing him.
2: Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> I understand that. You have to have a balls, I would say, <laughs> for that. Um, I said at the beginning that you were uh, called by one of your colleagues as a visionary. So what's your vision? Because in your industry in speech recognition, um, what's your vision for the next like, five, ten years? Like, How do you imagine where you're going to be moving?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, um, so I don't know. I'll have to check who wrote that, first of all. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, uh, so, you know, we work in speech recognition, but I don't want to Go out and say like, "Hey, speech is going to be you know the thing." I think so. On a larger um, like, if we take a larger perspective, we work in the industry of human-computer interaction, and if you look at human, uh, the, the objective here is to achieve the same level of parity. I'm assuming a virtual machine here, <laughs> same level of parity as human-human communication, and. The thing is, in human-human communication, we uh, are not—we don't just depend on speech. We, we, there's multiple modalities involved. So there's vision, there's like you know, understand border language, all those things. So the same thing has to happen in the human-computer uh, interface as well. So speech, definitely, we are bullish on speech. I, we think speech is going to be everywhere. Uh, however, speech will most likely be combined with something else. And there's this really, uh, uh, like, uh, if you search on YouTube, there's a very I don't think it's famous, but there's an older video where speech recognition kind of was trying to start for human-computer interaction. I think it's called Put This Over There. That might be simply the title. And it's like from 1970s. And this guy is just sitting in a dark room uh, on a projector, and he p- there's some objects like triangle or s- uh, square. like It's very simple. Floating on the screen, and he says, put this over there. And that, I think, is a perfect example of where we would be eventually is, you know, th- there's so many things going on, right? So it's speech, put this over there. There's gesture recognition and, 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 like, the object, like, all those things. So everything, I think, will eventually have to come together to create a solution that actually makes sense. Um, but just the speech itself, I think, uh, like I said, we are still in very uh, early stage, we have to solve the problem of uh, universal speech recognition so that anybody everywhere could be able to talk, to interact with their device in their language. Um, and that's, that's a big problem. It's not necessarily a problem of technology itself. It's also a problem of uh, you know, uh, market. Right, so like for example, if uh, a language only has hundred thousand speakers, uh, and Google or Amazon, will be like, yeah, but you know, I'm not going to make many, any money out out of these hundred thousand speakers. So, but so we have to kind of get beyond these kind of bottlenecks to to actually solve that problem. We probably won't be able to solve it hundred percent, but we'll get halfway there.
2: Small steps towards a big victory. Right? Yeah. yeah, you cannot go too fast maybe um at the end of my questions i would and before we're going to give the word to everyone else um three key takeaways from starting such a big uh, business to so potential it's not big yet. entrepreneurs I hope it will be big one, day.
0: <laughs> big one um So, I mean, key takeaways, I don't know if three, three. okay. So, one, I think one is this. (laughs) I'm going to take shortcuts here. Um, But I I think I've already said it, right? So, one of the important things is you you really have to be mindful of the market. You really have to do market study and and see or realize the potential of market. It's very important. And it's often underlooked. Um, The other important thing is team. Uh, Building a good team. Is probably the hardest part, but the most important, one of the most important part of a startup. You want to, and good team is not just people who are very very strong in certain technology or certain management and stuff, but people who you would love to work with, or they would love to work with you. So everybody has to gel together, and you have to start, even when you're small, you have to start thinking about culture of the team, the culture you want to build in your team, and the culture, as they say, starts from the top, right? So if you're the founders, uh, you know, so the culture comes with you. So so also, don't hesitate to hire people who are expensive. If they're good, in the beginning, you have to give away a little bit more. You know, attract them by giving ownership, uh, shares, or options in your startup, but they're going to, really double or triple the value of your uh, your startup and, and I guess the third takeaway is I'm going to say that take a, take something away from someone who actually knows something <laughs> instead of me and there's this guy uh, uh, so we know Kosla is the founder of Kosla ventures right and he was so he has some really really interesting YouTube videos you should listen to and it's very straightforward guy uh, you know he went to Went to a bunch of MBAs and told them like, "Are you gonna waste your time in the future if you're not going <laughs> if you're gonna go work for an investment bank?" So it's is like, but but he's it's like hostla Ventures is one of the biggest VC firm and their most respected one. But he has a lot of very very good ideas, um, and also I think this, now I'm getting more than three. Is is uh, the other uh, hard part in startup is taking advice? There's a lot of people out there who's ready to give you advice, but the hardest thing is. Uh, uh, like who do you take the advice from you have to choose yeah you, have, you and, and then we have a saying I I, have, I often quote sayings from India like this is uh, like we have a saying in Hindi that translates to like you can listen to you can hear everybody uh, but do ultimately what you want right So make your own decisions but you have to like seriously there are people uh, in the startup world who's, who's always ready to uh, uh, give an advice to entrepreneurs but who have never done anything themselves in their life. And it's like, okay, what makes you <laughs> eligible to give this advice? And that's important because a lot of these people then end up misdirecting these uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah.
2: When you speak about markets, can you tell us a
0: little bit more how you guys went out and identified your own market? Because I'm assuming, as you said, 36 billion is huge, but it's not your entire addressable market. How did you figure out what's your addressable market? Uh, well, so. First of all, it's an evolving process right as you grow, your capabilities of your systems grow and all those things. but at any point in time um, at any instant you you have to look at what you can do effectively today and what you can achieve in like x months from now and 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 so on and so forth and like once you go once you go i think like more than two years out, it's become super hand wavy uh, but that's sort of an art of faking it. (laughs) But in the beginning, you really have to be very, uh, very explicit about this is what we can actually do. Right, So there is a, there is a saying uh, also in startup world, like fake it until you make it. But only fake what you can actually make, right? Don't be a Theranos and then like, oh, you know, I can do everything. So it's very important to understand the capabilities of your system. And also, don't miss out the part on the channel. Like, yes, the market could be big, but how are you actually getting there, right? So you have a technology there there is a market but there's also a lot of stuff in between like to to take that technology and sell it there um and the the other aspect is that development when you do this kind of planning the development actually always takes longer than you you think uh, so you have to be mindful of that too like for yourself and also for your investors i think it's important to be very realistic about these numbers oh uh, sorry just a little bit more uh there's there's, there's uh, you know, these big companies like Gartner or something that do this kind of reports, and you have to buy it for $5,000, but you just don't need to do it. You can just read some like news or something like this that actually code, and so you, you can get some of your market numbers from there as well. What do you think of the uh, Montreal AI tech scene, and
1: perhaps Toronto and Waterloo as well, compared to some of the stuff that's happening around the world, particularly maybe in India and, and China perhaps?
0: Okay, so my opinion is not the popular opinion. Uh, so uh, I, I think uh, you know, in Montreal, we do have a lot of lot going on in AI. However, we like we're one of those. I, and I've noticed this, there's a lot more smoke than reality, and we like to beat our chest before we actually won. And there's a lot of articles saying, oh, Montreal is the AI capital of the world. Uh, there are people calling Montreal Silicon Island already, and I was like, guys, like, just come on. Like, the, like, there, was, there was some study done last year, uh, it's like top 10 places where AI is happening in the world, and Montreal was not even there. It's top 15, Montreal wasn't there. I'm not saying that we don't have talent, we do. Like, we have these big universities and the, there's a lot going on. However, there's there's a lot going on in Toronto too. Like, you know, the, it's not just uh, Montreal. So, and there's obviously a lot going on in Silicon Valley, right, so if there's a Silicon Island of AI, it is still Silicon Valley. <laughs> we, so, so that's kind of my opinion. However, you know, we do have a lot going on. You know, there's Mila, there's McGill, like, well, Mila is now everything. So there's all those things, all those resources. But I think we still are lacking in a support ecosystem of like to to properly train entrepreneurs, guide them about you know what's realistic and what's not. In fact, there's this uh, also not going to be a popular opinion, but there's a, this uh, uh, psychological paper just came out a few days ago. I think the title is something like "bullshitters." Who are those, and what do we know about their lives? And it's very true about technology and everything. There's a lot of people who just go out and bullshit but you have to like know to filter out so I'm not saying that there's a lot of like that in Montreal yesterday we have a lot of good stuff but I think we're still like again with early days we have to grow a lot and, and I, I see there's a growth potential but today we haven't won and we're not even in the race of the top but you know we'll get there so I was just wondering, because you said that it's hard to get data, and especially with like every language that you have so far. So I was wondering, how do you get those datas? Yeah, so data is, uh, data is a problem. Data is hard. Uh, we have multiple ways to get data. Um, but like, we built our own crowdsourcing platform and cleaning platform. Um, there are actually companies that have built their entire business model doing that. Uh, uh, we just recently learned. but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, But hey, that opens up actually a commercial opportunity for us, like, oh, we didn't realize we could sell this platform too, so we could, but so we have built that, Uh, but at the same time it's not always possible to get data through crowdsourcing, sometimes our customers have the data, they can give it to us, sometimes we have to really have no choice but partner with, uh, uh, there's a lot of companies now that actually record the data in in language, they're very, very expensive, Uh, but sometimes we don't have a choice, uh, and we have to do that, yeah.
1: Hi. Uh, so I have two questions. Like, one is like uh, you said, everything would be offline. I think uh, would that be a limitation? Because like, if I'm cooking and I forgot to switch off, like I have a smart device and I forgot to switch off the stuff. So I go out and uh, if it's Alexa, I can just write like switch off the stuff. But if it's an offline device, like it only works when you are closer close by. So do you think would that be a limitation uh, to that?
0: So uh, I think. It- I, first of all, I never said everything will be offline. <laughs> I said our speech recognition works offline. That doesn't mean that the device doesn't need to connect to Internet to do certain things. It can still do it, right? You should still be able to control things remotely, but the security question there comes in as well. You know, there's this uh, episode in the, I think that iRobot I, was the uh, popular one, right? And there's an episode in there where uh, they're looking for a new hideout, and what they do is they hack into someone's smart home, and scare that person out of her her own home and so she runs away, and then they come. Uh, like they increase the temperature, play music, the pool goes crazy, whatever. <laughs> so all those things are possible, uh, and they're, they're realistic. Like you know, you, there was uh, the San Francisco subway system was locked down, or uh, those things. Are possible. So there's a security aspect to that as well. I, I can't speak about it, but what I meant is like our speech recognition works offline. You don't have to. Uh, we don't have to stream constantly to the cloud. Like if you look at Alexa, for example. Uh, so the only thing it does offline is recognition of the word Alexa, and then the lights. I don't know if you've seen the. Alexa right? The lights come up. However, um, what, you, what a lot of people don't know is that it actually streams data to the cloud more often than you think. Like, even when the light doesn't come up, it at times, it does stream data to the really? cloud. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it happens because it, it has a second level check in the cloud to see, oh, if the person actually said Alexa. So every time there's a false accept where it thinks, like, oh, the person said Alexa, it goes to the cloud and check um, that they said Alexa or not. And it, it, at that stage, there can still be a false accept. So even the second stage, is, but the chances are really, really low. But it, it is also possible, but a uh, possibility. But even even in that case, even if it doesn't, like at least in that little short span, uh, it, it does. So that's the that's where the privacy concerns come. It's like, oh, is it always listening to us and things like. That. So th- those are the uh, parts we can solve. But still, yeah, I mean, IoT is still a thing. I it would I guess I is important. We could take it out of for some things, but maybe not everything. Yeah.
1: Okay. So my next question is quite technical. Like for uh, machine learning tasks, like what does your data look like? Is it like a audio, audio, like you said ASR, which means like audio to speech recognition? So is it like audio files that you then convert into like uh, either spectrograms or like some coefficients? Like is the data like more s- structured or unstructured?
0: Uh, I mean, it is, uh, yeah, it is audio wave files. We use uh, some uh, feature extraction technique to spectrogram is part of that, but here's uh, some feature extraction technique. There are some other uh, uh, front ends, if you can call it, or uh, now, which actually, like MFCCs, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you know, MFCCs, yeah. yeah I know. So mfCC used to be a big thing. Now people are doing like log mail filter banks. And now there are other things where you actually don't need to do feature extraction. There's some neural network based things. Uh, there's this work uh, by uh, Mirko from uh, actually he's at Mila now uh, they use the it's called SyncNet. they use the that's the front end they use uh, so that doesn't require explicit feature extraction
3: um, is there any device actually on the market yet that's relying on fluon ai and if not yet can you disclose maybe something to come
0: we have a number of devices that are about to come market uh, um, sometime this year. There's nothing, unfortunately, out there now. There were supposed to be, uh, and that's kind of like, again, the risk you take because we're in the B2B game. Uh, So if the other party, so to give you an example, we had completed the project. They were about to launch the product, and then they just last minute canceled because they got acquired by somebody else. They didn't want that. So that back propagated to us. So that kind of issues can happen, but uh, this year we have a number of strong uh, projects reaching maturity that will come out. Regarding understanding of speech, what are the next steps from your perspective to get there? Well, I mean, uh, so I mean, the problem is still not solved, right? So one of the uh, steps is one of the challenges currently that exist is noise. So accent, noise, and languages is is those are the three main challenges, right? And also, um, so so as uh, Christina was saying, her accent it doesn't sometimes work. Mine doesn't work sometimes, and uh, the, uh, noise is often a problem, right? So if you look at even even uh, you know household noise can be problem. So there are uh, there's a lot of work going on um, actually in creating uh, these noise removal front ends, and that still is a, uh, a big opportunity. Um, and then the third one is just supporting different languages and also uh, actually most people these days are bilingual, right? So there's like, you know, Franklish and whatever. So the naturally when you talk, it's, you don't really just talk in one language. And how do you, that's easy for humans to understand, but how do you teach machines? to? So that's, that's also one, one of the key challenges. How about context? context is important yes so that so context is a uh, yeah that's important as well in uh, like as as you evolve but context some of the context problems can be solved it's more of a uh, uh, it's it's related to speech but it's also re- more related to design of your ultimate device right so like if you if your device is light um, this is a very dumb example, right? If your device is like a smart light, and you say, and the light is already on, right? So, and the context is that it's on. And you say, uh, uh, turn, on the, uh, turn off the light. and But the speech recognizer underst- misunderstands turn on the light. So your, your rest of your system could still figure out, like, oh, no, the lights are already on. Maybe the user didn't want to turn the lights on. So this is a very simple example, but obviously, uh, you know, in conversational uh, AI, the, there's other kind of context information that's important. Uh, but li- like I said, it doesn't have to necessarily depend on the speech. The, a good solution is a combination of technologies, right? You don't have to just blindly apply the same technology to solve different problems. You have to sort of broader your vision and look at what else could I do to solve this.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks uh, very much for telling us so much about your field. I have uh, two questions. Uh, one relates to what you mentioned about uh, the state of AI in Montreal uh, what do you think is missing when you look at other places where it's at a higher level what do you think would make it make Montreal match those levels
0: so I mean so that that's a that's a very hard question, right? <laughs> it's because it's not, it, it relates to another question, which is like, if you look at overall startup ecosystem of Montreal, like where does that stand? And how does that compare to startup ecosystems in other places? And uh, we uh, there's actually, um, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Like it's, it's I think it's like the, the cycle. We do have um, some success, like uh, successful entrepreneurs here in Montreal. But a lot of times, um, they don't come back and do another thing, right? So that's that's different. If you look at like Silicon Valley and all, like a lot of entrepreneurs are serial entrepreneurs. Whereas in I'm not saying we don't have any in Montreal, we do, but the the uh, density is very low, and that I think fuels the ecosystem. You need people like that who've been successful. They can come back. They have that knowledge, right? And they 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 can sort of go back, go at it again, or they or they can. Um, teach that or get some involved in the community stuff. So now it's happening. I'm not saying it's not happening, but it's just slowly happening there, right? So, um, and the the same thing applies to AI as well. Uh, AI is relatively new for everybody. Well, AI has been around forever, but like the new avatar of AI is relatively new for everybody. Uh, So there are experts. uh, So there are technical experts, there are market experts and all those things. So I think those people really have to come together and start uh, some sort of uh, like a real think tank kind of stuff. Where you can, you can. Uh, it's not necessarily have to be a think tank. It's just basically, you know, if someone has an I- idea, uh, a lot of times People come and I've had this conversation a few times. It's like, oh, I have this idea, and I'm, you know, the AI is going to do this. And I'm like, okay, but where is the AI in this? This is just, you're talking about logic programming, man. There's no AI in this. So, and, and that's true. Like, it, I'm not giving any specific examples, but it, it it happens. So, there's a lot of time. This is where I was saying there's a lot of time, like, you know, and we have this as well, like AI in the name of the company. <laughs> so, uh, there, there's a lot of companies that have AI in the name, but they're not doing any actually true AI. Um, and uh, so that I think will change over time. Um, so I, I'm sorry, it's not probably a clear answer, but that's the best I can do right now. I,
3: uh, do you think uh, there's a lack of risk-taking in much?
0: The, the, the lack of risk-taking uh, is, uh, is definitely a symptom of... Canadian ecosystem overall, uh, I mean, and this goes to, uh, like, you know, you look at the investors, uh, they're risk averse, they don't take the same kind of risks that people in Silicon Valley will be taking, the check sizes are small, uh, you know, and things like that. So definitely that is, uh, that is a, yeah. And a, a, a lack of hunger, right? So it relates to, um, like again, there's a lot of people who get successful and then they retire at like 38 and I'm like, Dude, seriously, <laughs> like, come on, <laughs> do something else. You know, how? What do you do with your time? <laughs> Sorry, I <overwrote>, like, yeah. <laughs> okay,
3: uh, just uh, the second question: uh, Has there been any research in identifying if there are messages in non-human sounds and voices?
0: There, uh, So, uh, yes, uh, there's a lot of research on this. Even in Miguel, actually, there was a professor I forgot the name of, but he was uh, working with uh, rats, and then apparently rats have, or mice, I don't know, one of the two, have nine different signals, uh, nine different kind of voices they can use to communicate with each other. And uh, they wanted us to do this project, like, oh, you know, can you identify which one of these nine voices is this? But then where is the money, right? (laughs) So we didn't, like, again, as a startup, we have have to be focused on, like, that's the objective. And this is, while as a researcher, I will be like, oh, man, that's cool. But, you know, it's not a distraction for a startup. Uh, Whales, I think, is very well known, and elephants, that they have different voices for signaling. Uh, I don't know if dogs or cats do. Uh, I don't know. But there's been some research,
3: yeah.
1: Thanks for listening to Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button.